I'm Kim Raycon, Marketing Associate for Harper Academic, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Harper Academic's podcast, Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators and students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic Calling, Ruth Hogan. The Keeper of Lost Things tells the story of retired writer Anthony Pardue, who 40 years earlier lost a keepsake from his beloved fiancée Therese the same day she dies tragically and unexpectedly. Eunice, a young assistant, picks up Anthony's keepsake and lands her dream job. She hangs on to this keepsake for years, someone's lost object becoming her good luck one. Anthony remains heartbroken over his double loss and begins collecting lost things in hopes of one day reuniting them with their owners. He hires an assistant, Laura, herself lost after the dissolution of a bad marriage, to help with his daily correspondence. Shortly after hiring her, Anthony dies and leaves Laura two tasks, to reunite his lost objects to their rightful owners in hopes of mending at least one broken heart, and to befriend the young woman, Sunshine, who lives across the street. Sunshine is the novel's biggest surprise. At 19, Sunshine has Down syndrome and brings to the novel an honesty, humanity, and full-heartedness that other characters sometimes mislay. What Mark Haddon's The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime did for exploring the difference, not disability, of seeing the world through Christopher, a young boy with Asperger's syndrome, Ruth Hogan does for seeing the world through the eyes of a young woman with Downs in The Keeper of Lost Things. A clever, big-hearted debut novel, Ruth Hogan's The Keeper of Lost Things weaves together an affecting, unforgettable story not to be missed. It is available in the U.S. on February 21st from our imprint William Morrow and was published in January in the U.K. by Two Roads. Hello. Hi, Ruth. Hi. Hi, Ruth. It's Kim from HarperCollins. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. That's good. That's good. So, so Michael, who talked with Diane Roberts, who is very well versed in cats going in cat jail, is here with me. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the dogs to start because they've been asleep for the past hour on the sofa, quiet as mice, but... As soon as I get on the phone, the, 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 the little pixies wake them up and say, come on, do big barking now. Today I am here with Ruth Hogan, whose debut novel, The Keeper of Lost Things, comes out the end of February here in the U.S. So, Ruth, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. I absolutely adore this novel. I know that we're probably not supposed to have favorite novels. It's kind of like not supposing to have favorite kids, even though I don't have kids. But I absolutely, absolutely adored The Keeper of Lost Things. So I'm wondering if you could start by talking us through what your writing process was like for the novel, from idea generation to to drafts. What was that process like for you to come up with this really, really incredible story? Well, I, I'm, I'm a junkie when it comes to things like documentaries and news articles. So I'm always t- 
tearing, you shouldn't admit to this, but I'm always tearing things out of magazines and newspapers and hoarding them. And I actually have a folder which is called Book Ideas. Okay. And for this particular book, I had the first line in my head for months. And I have no idea where it came from. I was sitting on a train and this first line came into my head. And then I came across some, some news articles, one of which was about the odd things that end up in lost property departments. Mm -hmm. And the other one, bizarrely, was about what happens to cremation remains when they're not collected from funeral directors. Right. And in the weird way that my brain works, <laughs> it put the two together and said, bingo, this will be a really good book. But the other strand of it was, years ago I used to live in a little cottage and there was an old chap who lived around the corner from me. And I didn't know him that well, but I, he was a real hoarder, an, an extreme hoarder. Mm -hmm. And he, I used to see him wheeling his bicycle past my house. And he would always have loads of stuff in the basket. And one day I saw him going past with a sink, a ceramic sink in the basket. And I rushed out to help him because he was really frail. But when he died, his house was completely full. There was, there was no space for anything. And he'd filled all the outbuildings and he'd filled all the garden with stuff. And another neighbor told me that he had once been a professional man um, and he had lost his fiance. She died suddenly. And I just wondered if he didn't fill the space that she left and, and the, the big hole in his life, but he just filled it with things. And, and that kind of got me, because he was a lovely chap, but he just didn't interact with anybody. He just filled his life with things. And it was like there was such a huge hole there that he had to fill it with something. And so that was, that they were the kind of three elements that got me started on Keeper of Lost Things. And then I started picking things up. What good stuff have you picked up lately? Uh, when I tell people the kind of things that I pick up, they always say to me, well, where do you find them? And I think it's because I've now got to the point where every time I go out, I'm looking. Um, and I, I guess one of the best things I found was a chandelier, which was amazing. <laughs> collection of, of lost things uh, that you that you come across from what I've seen. My husband keeps saying, you've written a book now, are you not going to stop? <laughs> <laughs> but it's very hard when you've got into the habit to stop, so no, probably I won't stop. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, all the, and all the better for it, who knows? 
well, there might be more stories in there. You never know, do you? That's true. That's true. You do never know. I used to teach in a first-year writing program, and I used to teach a class about inhabited places. Mm. And one of the interesting aspects of The Keeper of Lost Things for me is Anthony's house, Padua. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about Anthony's house and also also the study, which sort of becomes, in some ways, the all-important room in that house. I, I always had a, a picture in my head of what the house looked like, and um, I always thought of it as being a very quiet, very peaceful place with, with quite big rooms, high ceilings, but slightly neglected before Laura comes. So it, it was a sanctuary, but it was just very slightly neglected. And the study I've always thought of as being the, the, the centre of the house. That was always the key room, as you say. And I think there's a line in the book which I which I like, which I shouldn't say that because I wrote it, but it says <laughs> the air was thick with stories. Yes, I, li- I like that. I like that line too. And that's how I always think of the study because it becomes the key room. But for Anthony, Padua is, he establishes it as a sanctuary for lost things, but also for lost people. Yes. And don't forget, for him, it's absolutely key because it's the house that he chose with Therese, and he scattered her ashes in the rose garden, which was his gift to her. So he's he's so firmly rooted physically and emotionally in Padua. But then by gathering in other people's lost things, he he also turns it into this, this sanctuary for things and people mm-hmm. and by leaving it to Laura he he gives her ownership of the sanctuary if you like because she's hiding away from the real world there that for her it's it's definitely a place to hide I think. I was just going to mention that aspect of Laura's character because she herself is a bit lost when she started to work for Anthony. Mm. She is and she, she's lost her way and I think she's floundering she needs she needs a purpose, and that's what Anthony gives her. And he also gives her, because sometimes you get to that stage in your life where you've made mistakes and things have gone wrong, and you don't, you're not really sure how to move forward. You don't know what's the next thing to do, what's the right thing to do. And in a sense, by giving her the job at Padua, he gives her a breathing space because she's, she's got um, earnings, so she's, she's financially secure, and she's doing something that she enjoys doing, but it also gives her breathing space to think, what do I need to do? And I know it takes her right till the end of the novel to start writing her own. Mm-hmm. But it gives her that breathing space and it gives her safety to actually, I suppose, reboot her personality and, and think about who she really is and what she wants to do. And also, she makes friends. Yeah, yeah. B- between between Sunshine and Freddie and even Eunice at the end. Because the, mm. the, one of the other interesting things um, about the, the novel is that there, there are parallel plots uh, at play that eventually come and intersect. Not only do we have the story of Anthony and Laura, uh, we also have the story of Bomber and... Eunice. Mm. So why was it important to you to have a parallel? I mean, sort of besides besides the fact that conveniently it all connects it all connects up at the end. But why mm. was why was Bomber and Eunice's story also important? I, I wanted to have that. I wanted to bring into the story that idea that we have these kind of weird connections. People say that things are unbelievable coincidences but Mm -hmm. life is a very strange thing in that 
those coincidences are real. And if Anthony lost something, then the chances are somebody else would have picked it up. And I just loved the idea of having the story of the person who picked up that thing that meant so much to him. Mm -hmm. And she picked it up and thought, oh, that's nice. It's my good luck, my good luck token mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm coming away from the interview that I got the job. So then I thought it would be really interesting to follow her life. And also, of course, Bomber and, um, Bomber and Eunice rather, have their own love story. It's mm -hmm. a very different kind of love story, but it's a love story nonetheless. So it was nice to, to follow through with, with that as well and see where their relationship went. Yeah, and, and there's also the, the, the interesting part that she picks up Anthony's lost object on Anthony's worst day, which for her was her best day, really, or yeah. one of her best days. Which That's was, fine. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the person in, in your novel who is my hands down absolute <laughs> favorite, favorite, favorite character. I adore the character of Sunshine. Oh, there's so many reasons why I really love her character. And she is she's she's 19. She has she has Down syndrome, which I think is a very unique character to, to create in a story. Um, when I was thinking about it, I really was struggling to come up with other characters in contemporary novels that I've read that have had Down syndrome and they weren't completely marginalized characters. Um, Sunshine is, is very much an integral member of this ensemble cast. So how, how would you describe... Sunshine, why do you think she is so so important to the to the life that happens at Padua following Anthony's death? I think the thing about Sunshine, and for me, I, I, she, I, what you were saying earlier, you shouldn't have favorite books, you shouldn't have favorite characters, really, as a writer. But it, she is my favorite character, and she almost wasn't in the book at all. I. I'm denied for a long time about putting Sunshine in because I knew that if I got her wrong, mm -hmm. it would be a disaster. Yeah, yeah. And also, I didn't want to get her wrong. I yeah. wanted her to really work as a character. So it was a big deal for me. Do I put her in or do I leave her out? And um, I have a weird way of deciding these things, which I probably shouldn't admit to, but sometimes I think you just have to wait for an answer to come. Yeah. And... Um, very, I'll, I'll cut this, I'll talk forever if you let me, so I'll just cut this yeah, very fine. short. <laughs> um, I, did, I was umming and ahhing about whether or not to put her in, and I went on holiday in Wales and decided to go on a steam train trip. Okay. And it was a, um, it was a, a vintage steam train and it had been restored and the track had been restored and, and my husband and I went on this little trip on the train and when we got to as far as the line had been restored you got out had a cup of tea and they told you about the train and then you got back on and came home again but when the guard was telling us about the train the engine was actually called I think it's Holwyn I think that's how it's pronounced it's a Welsh word okay. and he was telling us about it and he said and of course in English that means sunshine and I just thought that's meant to be there you go yeah that's an incredible story in and of, in and of itself I think so I, then I decided that I would put Sunshine in, and I did a lot of research on things like speech patterns, mm -hmm. and um, I, I have a friend whose brother is Down syndrome, and when I used to work at the osteopaths as a receptionist, we used to treat quite a few children who had Down syndrome. But for me, the thing about Sunshine was I didn't want her to be defined as 
that Down syndrome girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I let Sunshine define herself. And she calls herself Dancing Joan, which yeah. was really important because I wanted her to have the opportunity to define herself. And it's it's just a part of who she is. Mm-hmm. She um, Sunshine is so honest. Yes. She doesn't complicate things. She looks at things and says, right, that's how it is, and that's how I'm going to say it. Yeah. And one of the things that inspired me about Sunshine was I'm, I'm, I look at a lot of photo books. I'm, I'm always looking at photo books to get inspiration. And there's a photographer called Diane Arbus who did a wonderful collection of photographs called Untitled. And her, her daughter, Dune Arbus, um, wrote an afterword for it. And she said that the photographs in it were created out of the courage to see things as they are and the grace to permit them to simply be. And to me, that's a perfect description of sunshine because she does have the courage to see things how they are and she calls it how it is. And I think for a lot of people, when they first come across sunshine, they think, oh, yes, she's a lovely girl, but she's she's down syndrome which means that she won't see everything and sh- and she'll be quite naive but actually she's the opposite yeah. she's one of the wisest characters because not only does she see things as they are but she has no self-deception a lot of the adults in a lot of the the, the so-called normal adults in the novel they're always deceiving themselves but sunshine doesn't deceive herself she doesn't deceive anyone else she just looks at the world and tells it how it is yeah, her her emotional honesty and her lack, as you said, her lack of self deception, but also her her willingness to be to be so plain spoken. She is one of the kindest people, I think, in the, in the, in the book. Um, I mean, everybody, I think everyone or almost everyone in the novel tries to do nice things. I mean, Felicity and Vince are obvious exceptions to that, but she, and Portia, yeah, although she does come good at the end. She does, yeah, she does, yeah. She does. She does come home. To, she does come get at the end to the uh, Battersea dogs home. Yeah, but Sunshine is this. She is this character who who really does sort of interact and react very very genuinely to things. And the, the other thing I like about Sunshine is that she's very instinctive mm-hmm. and her kind of sixth sense about the object. Yes. She she trusts her feelings completely. She doesn't. She doesn't sort of think, oh, no, I can't talk to people about that because they'll think I'm weird. She just, she has complete belief in her own instincts and she believes what she feels and she's quite happy to just say, no, this is a fact. This is where this thing comes from or this is the person who lost this. And I love that about her. I love the honesty that she has. And also her, her sense of her sense of duty and, as, as we've been talking about, her sense of feeling. Um, because mm. one, of, one of my favorite chapters in the book, I'm, I'm like totally just micromanaging everything about all of my favorite aspects about this novel, but, <laughs> but one, of my, one of my favorite um, chapters in the book is, is chapter, chapter 21. That's the chapter where... Sunshine takes Laura and Freddie through St. Anthony's burial service with Therese, the lady who she calls the Lady of the Flowers. Okay, yeah. And it is so funny. I mean, her her honesty and her sincerity shine through, I think, in that chapter, but it's also just a very charmingly, charmingly funny ceremony that she 
really takes charge of uh-huh. um, to, to try and give Anthony his his part part anyway of his final wish. That's right, and and she's determined that it's going to be the way that she wants it to be, and she's right because she knows that it needs to be a combination of a a burial and a marriage. And a marriage, yeah. And and she's not she's going to make sure that that's the way it goes down. And and I had such fun writing that. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh thinking about it. But I did have real fun writing it. It was it, it was just it was a joy to write. And I'm I'm so pleased that you like it and it's your favourite chapter because it's one of my favourite chapters. But also I think it's a real chance for sunshine to shine. You should yeah. a terrible pun, but it's true. It, it shows. <laughs> All the best things about Sunshine is that she really cares about people and she wants things to go well and she wants everyone to have their happy ending. Yeah, it's a, it's it's the kind of humor. I mean, the, the last time, uh, or one of the times, I shouldn't say the last time, one of the times that I've laughed so hard at the way a chapter is written, uh, and I mean this in all sincerity, is in chapter five of the Pickwick Papers when uh, Mr. Pickwick tries to drive um, the carriage uh, with Mr. Snodgrass and company, and it was just the Dickensian kind of play-by-play that happens in this chapter for Sunshine as she walks herself, but also Laura and Freddie through this sort of burial come marriage ceremony is is just really it's just really really delightful and and for something that is comparatively kind of a sad moment she she makes it really joyful for Mm. everyone so that they can all kind of get on to the next thing which is which is anthony's sort of anthony's mission to have laura reunite things with the people who lost them that's right and again it's 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 part of her honesty in that she she conducts the ceremony in her words and in her way, but there's so much more honesty and sincerity in that than had she just read out the ceremony from a book or it had just been the ceremony that everybody has when they go to a crematorium or even, you know, sometimes with a marriage. It, people churn the words out and they're not actually thinking about the words, whereas Sunshine has written these words. She has sat down and thought... What would they want me to say? How can I do this? And, and I think what she comes up with, well, I have to say that because I wrote it, but I think it works. <laughs> yeah, and, no, uh, I, I agree. I agree. It absolutely does. Um, do you have a personal favorite thing that, that Anthony found? I do, yes, I do. It's the umbrella. Okay. It's, it's the umbrella that was found on the Alice in Wonderland statue. Mm-hmm. And the reason that that one is my favorite is because Marvin, the guy who is giving out the umbrellas, mm-hmm. I got the idea from him, for him rather, from a friend of mine who actually went to New York years ago. Um, and, and that was a story in, in itself. He was going to meet his mother who he hadn't seen for over 20 years. Um, she, she left him in the UK to be adopted. And so it was a really big deal. He went over to, to New York to meet her. And on one of the days, it just poured with rain. And he rang me to tell me about this guy that he saw on the street who was handing out free umbrellas. And he said he was the scariest guy he'd ever seen in his life. But he was trying to give people umbrellas. And because they were so scared of his physical presence, because he was a really big guy and he was shouting at everyone, nobody would take them. But it really struck me that there was this man who was trying to do a good thing, but doing it perhaps in a way that people were intimidated. And so it wasn't working. And it 
stayed with me for all these years and I kept thinking one of these days, one of these days, one of these days I'm going to use it. And finally, Keeper gave me the opportunity to use it. And I just really love the idea that this little girl, again, this child, was able to accept his kindness. Yeah. And she saw through all the, all the preconceptions that an adult would have put on to him as a character. And she just thought, this is a kind man. And, it, and that stayed with her through to adulthood, because she's, she's an adult by the time she comes to claim the umbrella. But I really liked that idea. So the umbrella, and, and also the whole Alice in Wonderland thing. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one's my favorite. Yeah, that, that was a good one, too. And of course, um, Alice also gets a new friend at the end. She gets, she gets sunshine. She uh, does. She gets sunshine. The sunshine takes her right away. Um, who then, you know, gives up making lovely cups of tea to make to make builders variety. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, since this podcast is aimed at educators and students, who was your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher, not surprisingly, was my English teacher. Okay. Um, she she was a terrifying woman <laughs> in that she she would take no nonsense from her class at all. I went to um, a girls' school, and um, it was quite strict. But she, and she taught us English, she taught us Chaucer, and she taught us Dickens, and she taught us Jane Austen. But she had such an enthusiasm for her subject that she, you could see it as soon as she walked in the room. She wasn't just going through the motions, she wasn't just going through her notes. And I remember when I got my A-level results, I was, I was a very bad student at, in, in A-level year, and I didn't get great A-levels. And she was so disappointed. Um, I still got my grades to go to uni and everything, but she knew I could have done a lot better than I did. Mm-hmm. And I just remember her being really disappointed. And it's bizarre, because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who was at school with me. And um, she's following, because obviously we're counting down to publication day in, right. in the UK. And um, we were talking about this, and, and we were both saying, Mrs. Molian will be so thrilled wherever she is looking down on us now, because we were the naughty two in her class. She'll be so thrilled, because at least now I can say to her, I didn't waste it, Mrs. Molian. Oh, <laughs> I promise been... you. And I genuinely feel that, because I know that she, she really wanted all of us girls to do well. And it wasn't just that she wanted us to do well, she wanted to share a love of great literature, which she genuinely had, and she wanted to show it, and she did with her enthusiasm. So I just feel now that I've maybe kind of redeemed myself in her eyes a little bit with Keeper. Oh, I I'm... hope wherever she is, she's looking down saying, well, it's about time. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure she. I'm sure she is quite quite happy with how everything turned out. Well, I hope she is. I hope she is because there aren't that many teachers. I think in your in your school life who really inspire you in that way and make you love the subject. And she was just truly one of those people. And even though she was scary, and none of us would have dared sort of misbehave in her class, um, it was also a joy to have her as a teacher because. Her enthusiasm made us love the the books that we were reading, and also she brought them alive because she knew them inside out. She was able to tell us about the characters, and she made us inhabit the world of the book, which is a really hard thing to get students, particularly stroppy eighteen-year-old girls, to do. Yeah. Um, but she was really successful at that. 
That's really that's really great. She sounds like a teacher after my own heart. <laughs> well, thank you so much for letting us have a chat with you today. You're very welcome. It's been it's been a pleasure, and it's really nice to be asked such good questions because uh, um, I thought when when you sent the questions to her, I thought, oh, thank goodness, <laughs> these are really interesting questions. <laughs> Can I ask you a big favour? Absolutely. Can you email me the recipe for that potato? Cake? I can, I can, I can. I can email. I'm ha- very happy to email you the recipe to, to my potato cake, um, along with things that I think I would do the next time that I made it because it was good. It was, if I may say so myself, it was quite, it was quite good. Um, but as I was eating it, it was one of those things where I was like, oh well, you could also probably do this and that and the yeah, other yeah. thing. So because I'm not so great with taking recipes as very strict directions. I see it more as a guide. Um, so... I'm so with you. It's <laughs> creative cookery. That's it, what you do. You it, tailor it to fit your own taste. Exactly. I will I will borrow the phrase creative cookery. I like that. I like that phrase a lot. But yeah, I can totally email you the recipe for the potato cake. Excellent. Well, anything to do with potatoes, I love. I know. Me too. Me too. So we'll, we'll keep in touch throughout the year with a variety of potato-related goodness in addition Absolutely. In addition Absolutely. to books. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ruth, you have a great rest of your afternoon. And yeah, it's been lovely to talk to you. I kind of feel like I know you a bit anyway. No, I, 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 and I feel, I feel the same way, so I'm glad that we finally got to talk, and hopefully in the not-too-distant future we can properly meet and catch up. And have lunch with potatoes. And have lunch with a lot of potatoes. Yeah, we'll just have a variety of potato. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Ruth, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.